It's not easy to hang on to hope and joy during a difficult time. So that's why you have to strengthen your relationship with God now so you're ready for the good and the bad. Hey there, it's Karen G. from the communications team. Welcome to our Tower Hill Weekly Podcast. We hope today's message gives you strength in this time of uncertainty. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take another big step in your faith journey. This week, we're continuing with our sermon series called In the Meantime. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm so glad that you're able to join us here on our online service. If you're new with us today, first time ever checking us out, a very special welcome to you. I pray that you feel as welcome as you are, yes, even through your computer monitor, through your TV. Boy, the whole world has definitely changed. And I don't know, there are some good things though, right? Getting to interact with churches online from the comfort of your home or or when you're out traveling, and so maybe, maybe there are some silver linings to all of this. But again, welcome. And I pray that however you're watching with us, whether you've been watching a long time or first day, sitting on your couch or walking your dog, that you would feel a connection with the Holy Spirit and a connection with this congregation. Well, as we get going, we're in the middle of this sermon series, and it's okay if you missed everything up until now. Hopefully today we'll make perfect sense to you, but I want to encourage you, if you ever want to go, go back and listen, you can go right to our website, towerhillchurch.org, and you could find the links to check it out. We have a YouTube channel, all sorts of ways that we're able to get content out to you, and you can get all caught up on this sermon series that's all about how do you live in the meantime? How do you live when you're in this kind of forced holding pattern of life, like we have all been forced to be in for the last six, seven months? What do you do? Because it's so easy for this time to become a source of frustration and anger, a place where you feel like you're stuck, that you can't move forward and you can't move back and you just have to wait until everything else happens for you. It could be a real tough time for your faith. It could really do a number on your faith. I mean, the whole series is built around a question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do? What does faithfulness look like during a time like this. And so we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. And that maybe God is up to something that we can't see. Maybe God's going to be doing something that we don't expect. Maybe the miracle is not God fixing your circumstances, but God fixing you. So that you're a different person, so that you are transformed. So that when you face your circumstances, you handle them differently. Maybe God is orchestrating something in your life. And he needs you to be ready. He needs you to learn. He needs you to grow during this time before he can hand you what is next. Maybe this time is about getting ready for the blessing that is to come. And listen, you have no idea who or what hangs in the balance of your response to your in the meantime. God may be working something through you to bless somebody else He may be preparing you in this season for something that, again, a blessing that's to come or a situation or something where he needs you to be prepared. He needs to develop a muscle in you, and we'll talk about that in a moment. He needs to develop a muscle in you so that you are strong enough to handle the next thing 
that comes your way. So that maybe you don't squander what he has planned for you, but you take full advantage of the opportunity. So then the question becomes, okay, well, how do I do it? So how do I faithfully move forward, Pastor? What does that look like? We've been talking about it. Okay, I get it. God may want to do something in me and for me and through me during this in the meantime time. But how do I begin to even unpack that? How do I approach it? What does that actually look like in my life to say, okay, God, whatever you have to give me, I'm ready. Bring it on. I'm ready and help me to learn or get whatever I'm supposed to get in this time so I can move on to what's next. Uh, A couple of nights ago, my family and I stumbled upon, you know how sometimes a movie comes on and no matter where it is in the movie, you just have to watch it. For us in my family, it's Apollo 13. When that movie comes on, I don't know, there's something so gripping about that movie. I know some of you uh, are like, yeah, pastor, you know, that was actually a, a real life event you know it's not just a movie I I know I know but I don't remember the real life event but I do remember the movie very well and Apollo 13 I love the moment when they find out I mean listen they find out all hell is breaking loose on this spacecraft and everybody's guessing what the problem is and the chief comes out and he's like stop stop listen we got to start asking the right questions the question isn't how are we going to get to the moon now it's no longer a lunar trip it's now a rescue mission So how do we start asking the right questions? Because he knew that they could never move forward unless they started asking the right questions. They would just get stuck and distracted. And I think, I feel like there's a spiritual truth to that. If we're not asking the right questions, we get stuck and distracted. And it gets a lot harder to see our way forward. I was thinking about, you know, a time when this, Jesus and his disciples where they were in a situation, and it was all about asking the right questions because his disciples started asking the wrong questions, and Jesus had to quickly turn that into a teaching moment. Here we go from uh, the Gospel of John. There's a story of a man who's born blind, and uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking by, and it goes like this. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's kind of rude, right? (laughs) Like, I wonder if the blind guy's like, hello, I'm right here, I can hear you, you know, I'm not deaf. I mean, they just come up and they're like, so, who sinned? (laughs) That's kind of a, a weird question. But of course, back then, they believed that the reason people had physical disabilities and physical ailments and diseases was a direct result of sin. And so it was either the person had sinned and that's why they were suffering or it was generational and their parents sinned. Which one of you sinned? It's funny, you know, we think about that question and how ridiculous it sounds to us. It's like when I was seven years old and I broke my leg. So we're at 4th of July celebration and uh, all I remember is we're out on a picnic blanket, and one of my stepdad's friends somehow thought it'd be fun to wrestle a seven-year-old. I don't know why, it just was. Anyway, he ends up breaking my leg. I mean, not on purpose, but, you know, we're wrestling, he breaks my leg. And I remember my parents didn't believe me, and I had to walk back to the car with the broken leg. They felt horrible, and they found out it was broken. But, but we go to the hospital, and the doctor uh, takes the x-rays, and he brings my parents in, and he asks them, okay, which one of you sinned? No, no, he didn't ask that. But that's how ridiculous that is. Well, 
Okay, who sinned? Why is that ridiculous? Because it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Who sinned? No, no, the, the right question is, how did this happen? So that we know, how can we avoid this in the future? How can we treat it? It leads to all the right answers. And what Jesus knew in this situation is that they were asking the wrong question. It was a ridiculous question. But he was going to leverage that wrong question to get them to understand the right question. And this happens with us all the time. Spiritually speaking, we ask a lot of wrong questions because we have a wrong idea of what God should be delivering to us on a regular basis. Here's what I mean. This is a question that comes up as a pastor, I don't know, very often. If there's one question I get the most, it's probably this one. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen? Why does God allow that to happen? And actually the reverse. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why are things like this? And this is all based on the wrong question. This is an entitlement question. This is a kind of question that says, wait a minute, I've done everything God has wanted me to do. I have behaved in a certain way. Therefore, I should be getting something in return. And when we say it out loud like that, we don't like the sound of that. But we all believe it on some level. Or at least you have felt that way from time to time. I know a lot of folks are like, wait a minute, why did I get cancer? Why did I get sick? I went to church every Sunday. I gave. I didn't kill anybody. And that's my favorite one. It's like the low bar apparently is not killing anybody. Um, okay, great. Me neither. Uh, but like they come up with this laundry list of reasons why God should never have allowed something bad to happen in their life. And it's an entitlement problem. This is the way Pharisees think. This is the way the religious People think, and I mean that intentionally, religious people who don't understand that it's about relationship, not religion. This is the response, right? God, why didn't you do this for me? God, what I ever do to you, right? God, why, why did I miss out on the blessings in my life? You see what happens? We become, and then it becomes a spiritual problem. So I know plenty of people and plenty of churches who are like, you just need to pray harder. And this is kind of like what I call the parking lot theology, right? Lord, if it's your will, give me that parking spot in the impossible place. You know, we're going to the kids' baseball game, and you can never get a parking spot there. Man, we're in a hurry, we're going to be late. God, just please let there be a spot. And, you know, a spot shows up, and we're like, oh, praise God, there's a parking spot. And then, but then you start thinking, like, wait a minute, and, you know, I'm praying for my family, and I'm praying for someone who has cancer, and I'm praying for situations, and those aren't changing, but somehow God's given out parking spots like it's candy, and, and can't handle the real important things. Well, what is that? Well, it's because I have the wrong question operating in the background that's all about entitlement based on my behavior. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, regardless of my behavior, what Jesus Christ did for me anyway, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this just gets down to what we believe God's blessings look like. Remember that if you were with us uh, about a year and a half ago, I did a sermon series called Hashtag Blessed. We were having a little fun with the idea of what people think it means to be blessed. And generally speaking, we, even Christians, believe that blessings happen when life is booming, blooming, and cruising, right? Booming, everything is up and to the right. Everything's going great. All the numbers are good. Healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Uh, or blooming, like, well, maybe everything's not up and to the right, but I am really flourishing in this moment, and I'm happy, and I'm joyful, and I'm engaged. Or cruising, you know, I got no major obstacles, baby. It's all green lights and blue skies. That is blessing. But the problem is, 
is that's not how blessing is described in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not how blessing is described in Scripture at all. Sometimes it is. And of course, God wants to give us good things. But half the time, the blessings that we're receiving from the Lord are things that are hard. Things that require toughness, intestinal fortitude, right? Guts. Things that challenge us to our core but do something in us that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's like calluses. Have you ever learned to play guitar? A lot of people quit in the beginning because the calluses, it hurts when you're forming the calluses. But then what happens? You form the calluses and you could play longer, you could play better, you can move and progress, but you got to get through the painful part because the painful part serves a bigger purpose that you don't understand when you're going through it. And see, if we just think that the only blessings that God gives us, the only good things are all based on things that we like or that we want, then we don't really understand God's blessings. God is doing things for us that we don't really understand in the moment. We usually, even in hindsight, we don't understand at all. But God knows what we need. He knows our plan and our purpose. He just asks us to trust our way through it. And see, what happens is if we get stuck on this transactional idea of God, it leads us down some dark paths. And we've talked about this in recent weeks, but even the prosperity gospel is kind of where this can go. And it's very transactional. I give to God in order to get back. And you can always sniff this out because if you ever watch TV preachers who are prosperity gospel preachers, it'll always be an ask from you. Give us, our ministry, your $1,000 pledge. And the Lord's going to sow that seed and give, give back to you tenfold. Are you giving because you really want to bless the ministry? Or are you giving because you want tenfold? I mean, honestly. It's about giving to God in order to get. And that's not the gospel that I know. Or name it and claim it. You know, if you just pray hard enough, you can have anything you want. Just give it to God. God's going to give it to you. And yes, God wants to give us good things. But I see nowhere in Scripture... And maybe you want to challenge me on this, but I see nowhere in Scripture where this can really be sustained. Where God just says, pray harder for anything and I'll give it to you. No. He talks about, he wants to grant us the desires of our heart, but that is predicated upon a heart that beats for Jesus. That wants what God wants. And that's a lot different than saying, you know, I really want that bigger house. I'm just going to pray harder. Because then there's another dark side of that, and that is if you didn't get it, it means there's something wrong with you. You didn't pray hard enough. You don't have enough faith. This is kind of the dark side. And this is all a result of trying to answer the wrong question. The transactional, this transactional spiritual position can distract you from what God is really doing. So let's get back to our story. Let's get back to Jesus and his disciples in this teaching moment. Okay, who sinned? This, this man or his parents? And he keeps going. He says in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He continues, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. 
And of course, he sends him away to wash his eyes and he can see. And it's this huge miracle that happens. But you see what, what he's getting at, though, in the middle of this. It's not even so much about the miracle as to understanding what's happening behind the miracle. The question is not whether just that Jesus has the ability to do a miracle, but what is Jesus trying to teach through the miracle? Because that's what consumes the rest of that chapter. You know, uh, after this happens, you know, the blind man goes out and, uh, and he's telling everybody what happened. And then some people don't believe it and say, oh, that's not really the blind man. It's, it's someone who looks like him. And he gets questioned by the Pharisees, and, and he just is like, yeah, I don't know, Jesus healed me. And they're like, well, who is this Jesus? And they, they kind of go off the rails. And you know, it's funny, when this happens, it's like they don't understand. Jesus was pointing to something, like a sign points to something. A sign isn't the thing itself, it's pointing to the thing itself. What Jesus was doing in that moment as he's Opening that man's eyes was a sign of something greater. A sign that was pointing to something else. You know, the purpose of the miracles were never to be an end in themselves. Jesus was always trying to point to something much bigger. And this, in this instance, he was pointing to spiritual blindness. In verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And of course, he's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight. He's using the sign of the miracle to point to the deeper truth of spiritual blindness. He's telling them, you got to start asking the right question. What is Jesus really pointing to? And the man, I love the man who gets healed. You know, they're asking him, they're grilling him. Okay, what's going on? How did this happen? Explain this to us, and he just kind of basically says in the next, in verse 25, he replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. That Jesus, and of course, he's also talking about faith. He believes in this man who healed him. Jesus is pointing to a greater truth through that particular circumstance. And maybe a way of understanding this, maybe a way of understanding like what's the right question to ask and how should I be looking at things instead of thinking, well, why is this thing happening to me or what's God up to? What's the real thing I should be thinking at? Maybe a way of framing it is simply asking yourself, what is Jesus pointing to in this circumstance? During this in the meantime, what is Jesus pointing to for me? What is it that he really wants me to know? What is it that he wants me to learn? What is it that he wants me to teach? Or what, what does he want to change in my life? What does he want to add? What does he want to do differently? What does he want me to be? Who's the person he wants me to be on the other side of this that looks more and more like Jesus? What is Jesus pointing to? You know, it's funny. When you start asking that question, you start seeing possibilities that you didn't think of even in the midst of your painful, in the meantime, circumstances. So the wrong question that we've talked about is, well, is God angry with me? Is God apathetic toward me? Or is just simply absent? That's the wrong question. Maybe the right question looks more like, what is God pointing me to? How are, quote unquote from the verse, the works of God on display in me? 
what is God trying to do through my circumstance? I don't understand, but he's like developing a muscle that I'm going to use because I'm going to need it. It's exactly like the Karate Kid. <laughs> and we watching Cobra Kai. That's been kind of an interesting journey. Uh, but Karate Kid, right? What's the very famous scene where Mr. Miyagi's been teaching Daniel LaRusso karate by making him wax on, wax off, and sand the floor, and paint the fence, and paint the house. What Daniel didn't know was that his muscle memory was learning karate the whole time. He had no idea. And then finally, there's that big breaking point in that scene where he demonstrates all the different karate that he's doing. And I feel like during our circumstance, during our in the meantime, during those moments when Jesus is pointing us to something, he's developing a muscle memory in us that we're going to need later. We don't even know that we need it. A lot of times for people, that's a perseverance that happens in the midst of your difficulty. For other people, it's an appreciation, it's a gratitude. For others, it's the ability to navigate these situations, to have increased empathy for that situation that's coming down the road, or to sharpen you and sharpen your faith for a season that's to come. We don't know when we're going through it, but we just have to trust he's giving us what we need during this time. And maybe this is the only way that we were gonna be listening and paying attention. And so, truly, what does it look like in our circumstance? For you visual people, I think it's a little bit like a wheel, right? So we have our circumstance, and our circumstance feels kind of disjointed from everything else. But if we lift that circumstance up to Jesus, I think this is what we mean about like letting the works of God show through us during our in the meantime time, is we have our circumstance, and so we then pray up to God so that through Jesus, Jesus takes our circumstance and brings his redemptive presence to it. We lift our circumstance up to him and say, Lord, this is yours. Help us to faithfully navigate this. And when we do that, just as what happened for the blind man, is that Jesus works in me. He works in us. His presence, his works are on display in our lives, even in the midst of our circumstance. And what happens then is, when we get to our next circumstance, we're more inclined to trust and give it to Jesus, more open for God working through us, and it's like a flywheel or a snowball, and our faith continues to skyrocket. I don't know what it's like for you during this in the meantime, but are you asking the right questions? Are you asking what Jesus is pointing to, or you're wondering why you didn't get that parking spot? Why didn't God give you exactly what you wanted when you wanted it? Hopefully, if we can be open, then God can be developing in us something we could never get on our own. Yes, even in the meantime. Amen.